Well, as we have seen this week, the life of Cain holds out for us great encouragement in the mercy and grace of God in spite of our sin. Well, as we close out the week here today, we do so with a final look at our message, a preview of Ultimate Exodus. there, and welcome to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan from Grace Bible Church in Hayward, online at grace-bible.com. It's our final look at our message simply entitled, A Preview of the Ultimate Exodus. And today we're looking at the ultimate benefits of being in Christ, the promise of fellowship with God, the prophetic witness against the wicked, and the promise of rapture, the reward of His resurrection. It's all straight ahead. Join us for a look at Genesis 5. Here's Pastor Jesse, and today's Way of Grace. God doesn't care about you being a doctor or a lawyer or a scientist or an engineer or an astronaut or whatever. That is not the fundamental grounds of your identity. That's why he doesn't even talk about it in the Genesis 5 narrative. Am I making some sense? He knows we got to live. He knows we got to eat. And God has sprinkled us in the midst of the Canaanite system. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. But your identity is not dignified by your PhD or your doctrines of divinity or whatever other kind of accomplishments you have. They mean nothing to the true and the living God when your heart is not right. They mean nothing. So we move to point number two because I think I've made my argument. Why do the wicked prosper? It's in order that God would preserve them for the day of judgment. Why do the wicked prosper? Because out of the wicked are often God's elect. Why do the wicked prosper? So that God can be both just and merciful in the, exp- the expression of his overall attributes. I say this to people all the time because, you know, I'm, a lot of believers struggle with the doctrine of theodicy. The doctrine of judgment. That's the doctrine of theodicy. They struggle with why God will let people go to hell. They struggle with why God would punish sinners with the kind of severity that he does. People struggle with that. That just lets you know you're a sinner. When you struggle with God being righteous, it lets you know you're a sinner. Am I making some sense? And when I say a sinner, that means you're a hypocrite. Because as soon as somebody pisses you off, (laughs) right? Soon as somebody ticks you off, and you ain't gonna even wait on God. You going after them yourself. <laughs> oh, but you want God to just be just patient with everybody. And then you want God on your side when you kill that person. Human beings are by nature more inclined to be more righteous than God. When you pick up on that soliloquy, when you pick up on that syllogism, when you pick up on that fallacy of reasoning, back away. Because only God can correct the fool that thinks he's wiser than God. If I were God, I wouldn't. Immediately when you hear that kind of stuff, say, excuse me. 
I've got two more major points to bring, and I'm just going to touch on them and pick them up next week. You have the brutal mercies of the reserving of the wicked in chapter four, where Cain builds a whole city, a whole empire, a whole business. And then we see in chapter four how it overlaps in terms of the uh, seed of, of, of the godly over in verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. This is how you know she was saved. This is how you know she was saved. She was saved in that she walked by faith looking for the Messiah early on. Oh, this is how you have sex, married couples. That'll come home in a second. By faith, particularly young people. See, you don't understand the paradigm is to go into all the world and multiply, right? You can't have children without sex. And ostensibly, believers are supposed to actually uh, uh, propagate by faith. Somebody going to get this in a moment and you're going to believe God. For that which comes out of your womb, possibly being his elect. And when they come out, you're going to be praying for them even as you did when they was in their womb. And you're going to name them biblical names. And you're going to hope that heaven and earth meets together. And that child grows up to be something special before God. Am I making some sense? You don't just enter into the mechanistic structure and process of what we call uh, evolutionary biology. When you enter into conjugal relationships as a husband and a wife, you're supposed to be doing that as unto the Lord. Am I making some sense? And every child is the fruit of the womb. It's his reward. Every arrow in your quiver is from God. They're not yours. They're on loan. Anybody got time for me? Yes, indeed. Can you see how grace preserves you? God reserves the wicked and he gives grace to preserve his elect. And they're sinners because Isha was a sinner. Adam was a sinner. And God says you're restored by the grace and blood and covering of all that he did for her, right? And boy, they went at it. In the name of Jesus, let's have another child, which speaks to the resurrection of Christ. Does it? You kill Abel, Abel's a type of Christ. God's going to give us another son in his place. It's called the resurrection. It's called the resurrection. You kill the elect, they're going to rise again from the dead on the third day. Somebody will get that. You can't wipe out God's elect. You can kill them, but they won't stay dead. God will have a people for his glory and the grave won't hold them back. I've got a few minutes. I'm just going to wet your whistle on this point. Number two, the blessed line of the people of faith in Christ. The blessed line of the people of faith in Christ. Look at Genesis chapter 4, 20, um, 4 uh, 25 and then 26. Here it is. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, called his name Seth. For God said, she 
hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew, and to Seth, and to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Karashim, Enosh. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. That's your godly line. Y'all keeping up with me? So I imagine that Adam and Eve were so grateful to be saved, so grateful to be under the blood, so grateful to be clothed in Christ's righteousness, so grateful for God to stymie the judgment of sin that they both deserve, so grateful to leave her vital enough to have children and him vital enough to want to join her and God allowing the copulation Am I making some sense? Because they had to leave the paradise. They're in the wilderness now. They're in the world. God's still letting them have children. We know how that is. I can take you through so many stories. Some of y'all keeping up with me on the Holocaust survivor testimonies, are you not? A handful of you. Everybody should. That horrific event and all the miracles that transpired during it. And some, might, some folk might raise the question, were there any babies born during that time? Were they? Absolutely. You know them brothers snuck out of that barrack and went on over there to the women's section <laughs> under the biological imperative that God's elect won't ultimately be lost. Am I making some sense? We know in our own ethnic cultures around the world how horrible situations have been. And a child is born. The Jews are under extermination in Exodus chapter 1 and 2. And then women still having babies. Now, I know they didn't just have babies by going down to the water. Somebody want to help me? And they're having lots of babies. And Satan threw Pharaoh wants to kill all of the firstborn. Today, our women wouldn't want to have any babies. If we keep letting the neo-Pharaoh that governs our world tell you how you ought to act. Am I making some sense? That's because we don't walk by faith. We walk by sight. We do not believe that God has an election according to grace that he will save. It doesn't matter what the world condition is. God's sovereign. He's just letting the wicked and the righteous live together. He's reserving the wicked and he's preserving the righteous. Do we believe that? We believe that. Men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Sub point A, Seth expanded God's God-centered worship, didn't he? Seth expanded God-centered worship through his son Enosh. He expanded God-centered worship. Seth had Enosh. Enosh is the beginning of the proliferation of that line, that godly line that goes into chapter 5, verses 1 through 24. And as I asserted to you back then, uh, earlier today, when you read that line, you're not dealing with anything but having children, having sons. Am I making sense? And then having sons and daughters, having sons, having sons and daughters, having sons, having sons and daughters, having sons, having sons and daughters. And then we come to verse 20. And all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. And Enoch lived 65 years and he begot Methuselah. Do you see that? Now watch this. And Enoch 
walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and he begot sons and daughters. A whole bunch of children coming through Enoch, even though Enoch is in a unique situation I'm going to close with. So they're all having sons and daughters, are they not? And we were free to marry each other during that time. I know it's crazy now, don't do it. <laughs> but we were free to marry that time. Do you know why? We couldn't marry anybody else. There wasn't nobody else around. And we were not as contaminated by sin as we are today. I taught you this last week. Don't you fail to believe your Bible. Men lived to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. And it only got cut down significantly in the days of the law. Moses wrote about it in Psalm 90. 80 or 90 by reason of strength. And I shared with you last week, the way you understand this rationally, if you want to deal with it in the 21st century, is divided by tens. If Noah lived to be 930 years, break it down by 10. 93, that's how we live, don't we? And when you walk through all those brothers, you're going to be on an average of 87 to 89 to 91 to 92. That's where we are today. Is it not true? I had a dear brother <laughs> email me a couple of weeks ago, Pastor, why did they take so long to have children? I mean, he waited until he was 150 years old to have a son. Well, break that down by 10, 15, 17, 19, 26. Y'all learning something today? Right. And, and there's more to the genealogy. This is called the patriarchal calendar, and there's a lot to it. I cannot go into it. But the point being is we ought not to think it's strange that men live to be a millennial because we still live to be a centennial. Am I making some sense? I believe God. I don't know about you, but I believe God. And I believe that God meant that mandate when he says, go forth and be fruitful and multiply. I'm going to give you a millennium to do it. You're going to have a lot of kids when you live a thousand years. Am I making some sense? You're going to have a lot of kids, a lot of cousins, a lot of cousins. And I told you, this all happened simultaneous to the wicked line of Cain. Do you see it? This is the wicked line of Cain. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 13. Listen to this. I'm almost done, saints. Listen to the word. We just laid the foundation. The poor and the deceitful man meet together. You got that? The Lord lighteneth both of their what? Verse 14. The king that faithfully judges the poor, his throne shall be established forever. Ever. Verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a, a child left to himself brings his mother to what? And then finally, verse 16, when the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases, but the righteous shall see their fall. Pastor, what you're talking about? I'm closing right here. There's a man named Enoch who saw the increase of wickedness in his day. But he also saw the fall of it. Because he saw the increase of wickedness in his day, he didn't join the wicked. He didn't justify the wicked. He didn't diminish their wickedness. He didn't act as if they weren't wicked. You know what he did? He walked with God. Stay with me. I'm almost done. We got a long way to go with this one. 
He chose to walk with God in a vile, wicked world. Do you understand what you're about to actually bring on yourself when you do that? Will you hear me? Do you understand when you are choosing to walk with God, you're getting ready to have the whole of the world hate you? Y'all hearing me? And the text tells us twice, go back to the text, that Enoch walked with God. That's what it said over in verse 22. Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah, 365 years, begot sons and daughters, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch, what? Walked with God. There it is again. Everybody, the narrative wants you to know this is who Enoch was. He was a brother who walked with God. He wants you to know he started off walking with God and he finished walking with God. And his walking with God led to God walking with him. Do y'all see that? Listen to the language. I'm way late. Enoch walked with God and was not. That brother walking in fellowship. Walking is fellowship. Walking is fellowship. How can two walk together except they be what? So you can imagine Enoch walking with God in communion and fellowship and agreeing with God. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Which means Enoch was not agreeing with the world. That means that Enoch was getting his instruction, his prism, his perspective from God, which means that Enoch was at enmity with the world and the world was at enmity with Enoch. Am I making some sense? Which means God has to keep his promise when a man or woman walks with God. Jesus said in John 14, 21, if a man keeps my commandment, I and my father will come and make our abode with him and I will manifest myself to him. Did y'all get that? Which tells me that God was talking through Jesus to Enoch while he was living in this crazy world. Now, as long as God can reveal his glory to us in the person of Christ, in the midst of this crazy world, we can make it through this crazy world. And the fellowship between Enoch and God had to be so great And God had to see something in front of Enoch for which God chose to take Enoch before it happened. Isaiah 57 verse 1, I'm done here. This is Isaiah 57 verse 1 for the the cock crew up there. The righteous perish. Do you see that word? It means they disappear. And no man lays it to heart. That's the condition of the culture at that time. Please listen. The righteous man or the righteous woman is known to be righteous because they walk with God. They talk with God. They promote God. They proclaim his word. They tell the world that there's one true and living God. They also say there's no escaping God's judgment except through Jesus Christ. And then when the righteous perish, a natural death or some calamity, don't nobody care. Are y'all hearing me? Please listen. And merciful men are what? These are synonyms for for both kinds of person. Like if you're righteous, you should be merciful. Not compromising, but merciful. Both the righteous man and the merciful man or woman are taken away. And no one considers 
that the righteous is taken away from the evil that's coming. We're in chapter five. Next week, we're going to pick up in chapter six. And we're going to carry a layover from chapter five to chapter six because I didn't already taught you. There are no chapters in your Bible. This is a running narrative. Chapter five and chapter six are all the same. Y'all keeping up with me? And we're going to discover that the line of Cain and the line of Seth has done the very horrible thing that we find going on in our generation. The apostasy of the church. Starting to walk by sight and not by faith. Looking at the women of the world and saying we want to marry them. Once you once you take secularism and you bind it to the sacred call of God, you corrupt the sacred call of God. Now we got to deal with the Nephilim and the giants and all the crazy people. And God saying, look, I ain't giving y'all but 120 years. But there's a brother who escaped all that. Who becomes a picture. Of the ascension of Christ. Because Christ ascended too, And the ascension of his church. Which some. Whenever that time may be might also escape that final, ugly, eternal judgment by the mystery that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die. But we will all be changed. The twinkling of an eye. That trump shall sound. And the dead in Christ shall rise. And we shall all be caught up in the midst of the air to partake in the final judgment of this world scene, which God justly and righteously must do. Because the way Jude puts it in Jude 1.15, all of the ungodly Words and ungodly speeches and ungodly condemnation. Jude 1.15. This is what Jude heard. I don't know if you hear it, I hear it. This is Jude, sweetheart. She getting there. She getting there. Second to the last book in the Bible. I know I didn't woke her out. I didn't that that poor child out. She, 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 she post-traumatic stress is going on. I got to give her a raise. Jude says Jesus is coming back with his saints to execute what? On everyone. And to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. We know who he's coming after when he comes back, right? The ungodly. This is what Enoch saw. This is what he heard. This is what he preached against. This is what he told people to escape. And God snatching Enoch out from something that is about to come. And Enoch's great grandson. His grandson is going to be the final fellow 
that we have to deal with, who's going to be told by God to arise, move, and go too, because he's going to go through the judgment. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Amen. And on that note, we will close out today's broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand, the ministry of Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward. If you have questions about our broadcast, maybe you would like to spend some time with us worshiping the Lord. We would love to see you. You can get all of that information and reach out to us through our website at grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Listen to past sermons as well as guest preachers. Again, at our website, grace-bible.com. We'll even let you have any of the notes, sermon notes, that are available from these sermons as well. Again, there's an awful lot of resource material available at our website, grace-bible.com. If you'd like to reach out to us by phone, our number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. Sunday services here at the church are at 1030. Friday evening Bible study is at 6.30, Tuesday prayer and Bible study again at 6.30, directions and information again at our website grace-bible.com or by calling 510-886-9782. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with this ministry as we reach out to the Bay Area and the world (laughs) on the World Wide Web? We do so because we are linking arms with other listeners such as yourself. This is a listener-supported ministry. Your gifts, no matter the size and no matter the volume, are great help as we continue this ministry called Way of Grace. Consider that as you reach out to us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Say, we love Jesus anyway.